Welcome to Faith Lutheran Church and our Easter Sunday message. If Easter is feeling a little bit strange to you this year, it's feeling a little bit odd for me as well. I would imagine none of you are at home at this very moment with your brand new Easter dress on. Or guys, I'll bet you none of you have got that, pulled out that brand new Easter tie uh, to, to walk around in the house. In fact, I would imagine most of you are at home in your pajamas, in sweatpants. And this is probably even the most I've dressed up in, in a couple weeks. You know, this Easter Sunday, uh, none of us are going to walk around for person after person after person and say, He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Uh, that's just not going to happen over and over and over. This Easter, uh, we're not going to have a big brass quartet. We're not going to have a big choir. Uh, we're not going to gather together and sing big Easter hymns like, Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. That's not going to happen. Now, you can do that at home, and I would encourage you to do that at home, but it's just not going to be the same this year. But you know, I think that's okay, um, because on that first Easter Sunday, there was no pomp, uh, there was no big event like what we do today. Uh, people on that first Easter Sunday did not have a, a brand new dress or a brand new tie. On that first Easter Sunday, there was no brass quartet. There were not people walking around saying, He is risen indeed. In fact, nobody believed uh, that anything like that would remotely happen on that first Easter Sunday. And they certainly did not sing, Jesus Christ is risen today in a big anthem together as a congregation. That first Easter Sunday, it was very very quiet. Nobody was there. In fact, the disciples, they were uh, locked at home in their rooms. They were scared to death. It was very quiet, very serene. The birds might have been chirping, but it was quiet that very first Easter Sunday. Nobody was expecting a big event Nobody was expecting any surprises. Nobody was expecting anything miraculous on that first Easter Sunday morning. But Mary and Mary, they were on their way to the tomb. And at this point in time, all the disciples knew in their heads that just a few days prior, they watched their rabbi, their friend, be hung on a cross to die. And all their hopes, their dreams were shattered. And they were scared, and they were nervous, and they didn't want to even leave their houses. They knew that Jesus uh, had been hung on that cross, and he died at about 3 o'clock on that Friday afternoon. But they had to quickly bring his body down, because Shabbat, the, the Jewish Sabbath, would begin on Saturday, uh, on Friday evening at about 8 o'clock. And so they had to wrap his body quickly in a cloth and place his body in a tomb. He wasn't even uh, 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 prepared well for his death. They had to do it very, very quickly. And they couldn't even go out to the tomb on Saturday because it was against their uh, Sabbath rules. 
And so here they are at least 36 hours later before anybody uh, had seen Jesus since the last time and he was put in a tomb. And at this point in time, uh, rigor mortis would have surely set in on his body. And I can imagine as people are thinking on that first Easter morning, as they're walking to prepare to go uh, see him and prepare his body for, for burial, uh, that they're thinking, well, his body must now be starting to decompose and there's likely an odor, the smell of death. But what would happen next on that first Easter Sunday morning would change everything. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. This year we're looking at Matthew's account of that first Easter morning. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So Mary and Mary are going to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body, and there was an earthquake. And all of a sudden the ground underneath them started to shake. And I would imagine everything else around them started to shake as well. Now, if you've never uh, experienced an earthquake uh, firsthand, you qu can't quite uh, 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 imagine what kind of an experience that is. In the uh, early to mid-1990s, my wife Cindy and I were living in Southern California. And on January 17th, 1994, at precisely 4.31 in the morning, we were awakened from our sleep. Our bed was moving, our bed was shaking. Now we were living in the basement of a studio, uh, 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 of a house, it was like a studio uh, uh, apartment, and upstairs uh, we could hear our landlord and dishes falling out of the kitchen onto the floor and shattering. We could see the pictures sliding uh, off the walls and crashing onto the floor. And being from the Midwest, we had no idea what to do, so we just hung on. Pretty soon I see a spark outside of our window. It was the transformer, and then all of a sudden it exploded, uh, and uh, it was uh, a light show and movement all around, and we didn't know what to do. So we just hung on, white knuckles, and it felt like our mattress was in the ocean, bobbing up and down, going back and forth, and we're thinking to ourselves, when is this going to stop? Well, it stopped not long after. It seemed like a long time after. And it became eerily silent after the earthquake, uh, after the ground, uh, stopped shaking. And I remember uh, thinking to myself, now what? Now what do we do? We didn't know if there was going to be another earthquake. We, we just were completely unprepared. I mean, this had come up so suddenly and we had no idea uh, what was going to happen next. We later learned uh, that the Northridge earthquake was a 6.7 magnitude on the Richter scale. In 20 seconds, uh, 60 people were killed, 9,000 were injured, and uh, billions of dollars in infrastructure damage, uh, including the Santa Monica Freeway, just 
collapsed in 20 seconds. And I remember a few hours later as we're, we're putting stuff back together and some things we couldn't repair, uh, we just threw away and other things we tried to fix. But I remember calling my parents on the phone a couple hours later saying, yeah, we're okay. We're just a little bit shaken up and not quite sure what to do. And the crazy thing about those 20 seconds is that for the days, the weeks, the months, even years later, it continued to impact our lives because it came up so quickly, the world shook. And we had this incredible sense of helplessness. We weren't sure what to do and how to react. You know, as I think about the world in which uh, we're living today, we've experienced uh, an incredible uh, shaking of the ground, if you will. Now, uh, over the past few years, we've gotten used to disruptions in our lives through technological advances. But what we've been going through over the past few weeks, uh, the, the magnitude is so much greater and it's been so much more disruptive. And, and we've kind of run out of superlatives in terms of what to call this, right? We're not even sure you know, how to just explain the magnitude uh, of what's been going on. Some are actually calling this a life quake, that we're in the midst of a life quake. And uh, uh, last week, I listened to author uh, Bruce Feiler, who, by the way, lives in New York City uh, with his family. And he's describing uh, this event, this life quake event, and all that we're going through. And I wanted to share that with you now because I think he put some words um, to, to really uh, articulate, to help us understand what's been going on. Bruce Feiler said this, A life quake is something that is so disruptive that it shakes the foundation of our society and causes us to question everything that we had assumed to be true. Life quakes are those forceful bursts of change in one's life that lead to periods of upheaval and transition. Life quakes are events that change you. And I think we're all coming to grips with the fact that this is going to change all of us. Filer continues, the word that keeps coming back is humility, because if you haven't had your bedrock beliefs challenged by this, then you are really not paying attention. This is a virus of the body, but it's also a virus of the mind. I mean, think about it. If you're an activist liberal, well, guess what? Government has failed us on many levels. If you're a free market conservative, our business economy has failed us. If you're a techno-utopian, technology has failed you. So to me, Filer concludes, no matter where you look, there is something in this experience that shatters your beliefs. And I think Filer's right. Over the past month or so, we've been going through a life quake. And I think about that earthquake that Cindy and I experienced back in 1994. It lasted 20 seconds and it rattled us. It shook us. And here we are three, four weeks into this life quake, quake, life quake called COVID-19. No wonder we're exhausted. 
No wonder we are worn out. No wonder many of us are rattled. No wonder many people are shut down. See, when all this began a few weeks ago, uh, many people just went in uh, and turned on the television and started binge watching old episodes of The Simpsons. Or maybe you've gone through and watched all nine episodes of Star Wars. I know some of you have even re-watched uh, the, the 2016 World Series. I mean, you Cub fans are actually enjoying the World Series uh, this time around because you know how it ends, right? And we came out of our TV rooms and we looked around and this life quake is still going on and it's still going on and it's still going on. We're asking ourselves, when is it going to end? When is the ground going to stop shaking? What is next? And as we look around, we've seen all the foundations that so many of us have put in, uh, the assumptions about life, and they're gone, and they're broken down, and they're laying on the floor shattered. We're asking ourselves, now what? How do we move forward? When do we move forward? How do we move forward? Is there any foundation strong enough to help us move forward? There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook, and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And so Mary Magdalene and Mary, they go back. They find the disciples. They knock on the door. He's risen. And on the other side, the disciples did not shout back. He is risen indeed. That did not happen. The disciples said, Go away. Leave us alone. We're grieving. We're mourning. We're afraid. We're not sure what to do. The disciples were filled with doubt. As I think about that first Easter Sunday, finally the disciples managed to get enough courage to go out to the tomb and see for themselves because they were not going to believe it unless they saw the empty tomb themselves. And of course, you know the rest of the story. They saw the empty tomb and they met the resurrected Christ. And they were not the same. 
See, the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in that moment, everything changed about the world. And the disciples, you think about this, on Saturday, they were scared. They were afraid. They wouldn't even leave their house. On, on Sunday, they couldn't stop talking about the resurrected Christ and the empty tomb. It changed everything for them, for Mary, for Mary Magdalene. So they went on to tell others and more and more people. See, there's no other way to explain the explosive growth of the early church one day, the, the church did not exist. And the next day, the church was growing. It was exploding so fast. See, the interesting thing about Christianity is we know that the very day uh, in which Christianity was born, on Saturday, nobody said to themselves, hey, let's go tell stories about the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son and, and all those neat stories. Nobody did that. Nobody said, let's make up a religion uh, about these neat stories, because if they had, uh, they just, there was no courage to do that. There was no interest to do that. There was no reason to do that. Interesting, great, neat stories. But without the empty tomb, without the resurrection, they just, none of these stories made any sense. But on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, when Jesus came out of the tomb, when he walked out and showed himself to Mary, Mary and the other disciples, everything changed. On Saturday, there's no way a human being could start Christianity. On Sunday, there's no way a human being could stop Christianity. It changed that fast. And the only explanation is that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was alive. And then he showed himself to so many people and the church grew and grew and grew. Now the implications for the empty tomb and the resurrection just simply cannot be overstated. What it means is if the tomb is empty, that everything Jesus said throughout his life was true, that there really is a God uh, in heaven who created everything that we see on this earth, and that God looked down from heaven on his people and saw God's, that the struggle and the hardship and the pain and the hurt that, that people were going through, the sin in their lives. And God said, I love those people so much. I'm going to go do what they can't do for themselves. I'm going to go save them. I'm going to go rescue them. I'm going to take away their sin and I'm going to uh, take it to the cross and take it uh, beyond the cross to the pit of hell. So that's what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. The empty tomb proclaims that God has forgiven you of all your sins. The empty tomb proclaims that God has come to set you free through the person of Jesus Christ. We cannot overstate what the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus mean for our lives. You know, as we think about the Easter story, uh, there's, there's really nothing to fear. 
If this is true, if the tomb really was empty, there's nothing with the ground shaking today that can actually make us afraid. Because what that tells us is that God is bigger than all that. If he can bring his own son back to life, then he can take care of any fears, any struggles, any sin, any addictions that you might have in your life. It is a proclamation of freedom. You know, the, the, the Easter story, in, in many ways, it's, it's just so simple that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world, to take on your sin, to offer you forgiveness, and to give you freedom. That's what it's all about. That's what the Easter story is all about. That's what the empty tomb is all about. And so this morning, I want to just conclude by thinking about uh, ways that we can respond, ways that we can respond to the resurrection in the empty tomb, if indeed it really does change everything. The first way I think we can respond uh, on this Easter Sunday is how Mary and Mary responded to Jesus. It says, they came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. When they saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ in the empty tomb, they couldn't help themselves but bow their knee and come before him. And on this Easter Sunday, as the world is shaking and continues to shake, the response, the invitation is still there for you to bend your knee, to bow before him, and to surrender your life. God, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm weary. I'm filled with guilt, I'm filled with shame, I'm filled with fear. Say, Jesus, I, I just don't wanna take it anymore. I wanna give it to you. It's to surrender our lives to Jesus, to give him our sin, and to just receive the forgiveness of sin to receive freedom and new life through him. The second thing I want to invite us to consider this morning is to be, courageously be the church. See, we ask God to forgive us our sin, we surrender to him, but that's not over. We need to do that every single day of our lives. We need to keep surrendering our lives and we need to keep being the church. You know, a couple weeks ago when, when the earth started shaking metaphorically, right? And, and things kind of came off the hinges. I was hearing, you know, everything was closing, right? And I was hearing even the churches are closed. And I remember driving by a church uh, that had a sign out front that said, the church is closed. And I thought to myself, the church can't be closed. The church building could be closed, but the church can't be closed because the church is people. And as long as there are two people walking on this earth, we still have work to do. The church is still open and we still need to be the church. And over the past few weeks, we've heard this uh, word uh, over and over, this, this idea of social distancing. 
And social distancing, let's be honest, it's a misnomer. Social distancing means that we disconnect from one another socially. But the truth is, we have not been asked to uh, be distant from one another socially. We've been asked to be distanced from one another physically. So what we're really talking about is physical distancing. And I know so many of you are practicing physical distancing, staying at home. Good for you, just as you should be doing. But we need to continue to socially be engaged and socially be connected. And one of the great benefits of living in 2020 is there are so many ways for us to stay connected relationally, to be the church. I've been, I've been the church with uh, the last couple weeks with our junior high students as we've had uh, Zoom conversation and prayer and read scripture together. I know our senior high group has been the church over the, uh, the past few weeks as they've leveraged technology to gather together. I know some of our adult small groups have gathered together uh, through Skype and, and Zoom and, and uh, FaceTime and, and connected with one another. Our Wednesday morning Bible study group, uh, they have a, a group email that they just reply all and they continue to stay engaged with one another, to stay connected with one another. See, that's what it means to be the church, is to stay connected with one another to encourage one another, to support one another, to remind one another that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that God has come to rescue us. And so we just encourage one another over and over and over to be the church. And the third thing I wanna send you with this morning is Jesus looked at Mary and Mary and said, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Go and tell. Go and tell. You know, on this Easter Sunday, we are reminded and invited again to go and tell. I was talking to another pastor uh, last week, and he said, you know, Brian, uh, it has never been easier to do evangelism than it is today uh, through Facebook. All you have to do is watch the messages. And by the way, as you know, we send messages on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. You look at them on Facebook and you hit like, you put in a few comments, or you can put in there share. Boom, boom, boom. You are now an evangelist all through leveraging the technology. Facebook. We gotta go and tell. Because so many people in this world do not know Jesus. They are not walking with Jesus and they have not surrendered to Jesus. They don't know that the tomb is empty. They don't know that Jesus has resurrected and that he is alive. And it's up to you and it's up to me to go and tell. And that's the message of Easter this year. And you know, as the world continues to shake, it's, it's going to keep shaking. I don't know how long. But I want to encourage us and invite us to daily surrender to Christ. To invite him to forgive our sins. To stay connected as the church. And to go and tell others about what he has done. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to begin a new sermon series called Into the Wilderness. And we're going to look at different stories throughout Scripture 
of how God has met God's people in the wilderness, in places they have never been before. People who have asked themselves questions, now what do we do? Now where do we go? When is this all going to finish? Folks, Scripture is filled with stories about people like you and me who find themselves in the wilderness. And I want to invite you to go on this journey together with us at Faith Lutheran Church. Let us pray. Oh God, you have risen. And to that we all say, you have risen indeed. God, thank you that you uh, died on a cross for us, that you sacrificed your son's very life for us, that you took your sin upon your son's life and you took it to the pit of hell. God, you've forgiven us and you have set us free. And on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate with the global church to say that you are risen and that we are free. So God, send us out into the world to share that good news with others. Because the resurrection and the empty tomb change everything. Help us, God, to not be fearful. Help us, God, to not uh, uh, be overcome with anxiety. But Lord, help us each and every day to surrender to you and all that you have done through the death and resurrection of your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.